0: well hello there hi gardening friends welcome to my backyard here in taylor texas welcome to plow and hose i am so glad y'all were able to join me again this week now looking around my backyard right now i think my turk's cap is probably the most interesting thing um and impressive plant in the backyard. Turk's cap is a big leafy green plant that puts out these small inch, inch and a half, two inch tall, bright red flowers. And from a distance, the flowers sort of look like rosebuds, but up close, they're really so much more interesting. The flowers on my turk's cap are about an inch tall. Their red stamens are also about an inch tall, and they stick straight out the top of the petals. And it kind of looks like a little handle, um, or like like a bell with a handle, or, or maybe a paintbrush or something. Anyway. Um, The Turk's cap is said to be named that because they look like um, Turkish turbans. Because the five petals on the flower are kind of twisted in a similar way into like a little turban, and I can sort of see that resemblance, but you know, with that red stamen sticking out of the top. To me, they look more like a Galero, which are those bright red hats that like Cardinals wear. I don't know, that's, that's a little nitpicky, but either way, they do look like fancy little hats. When I first moved to Texas from Arkansas, and I started to learn about um, plants and flowers and all the things that grow here in Central Texas. I really wasn't all that impressed with the overall looks of Turk's cap. I mean, the flowers are interesting to me, but they really look out of proportion to that big green leafy plant. I mean, the have these little flowers on this big, giant, green plant. It just, they just look a little off or something. Anyway, each plant gets to be about 36 inches wide, and it spreads out as much as you let it. When I first moved to Texas, I was, you know, like I said, I was pretty meh about Turk's cap. I, it didn't really catch my eye, and I wasn't really all that interested in it. And I... I didn't plant it in my yard in Austin. When I moved to Taylor, there were, uh, gosh, I think there were about three or four turks cap plants that were already here in in some existing flower beds. And when I started redoing the beds, um, my vision was to have pinks and blues, so that red really wasn't... um, part of my color scheme so I actually dug up those turks cap plants and I put in other plants and I really thought I had gotten them all out but two of the plants came back the next year and they've been there ever since and I'm fine with that because I figured they just really want to be here so I just let them be and I'm really glad I did because the hummingbirds are bananas. They're so crazy for those Turk's cap flowers. Now we have um, another nice big patch of them right outside the kids' old playroom window, and, and there are easily half a dozen hummingbirds outside that window so there might actually be more just flitting around um but they are (laughs) really hard to count so I'm just guessing there are about six it's probably like one that just flies really fast all around and I'm not very smart but I don't know anyway (laughs) um inside the playroom um we set up a table that looks outside that window and we started using it as a home office and I like to sit there and watch the hummingbirds um I don't sit there and work, but uh, I bird watch. So I just, I love it. I find it really relaxing just to watch the birds bounce and flit from flower to flower. Turk's caps are part of the mallow family, and they're actually related to rose of Sharon, hibiscus, okra, and cotton plants. When I first learned this, I was kinda surprised by that, but once I started paying attention and looking at them, I have started to see the resemblance. The leaf shapes are all fairly similar, and the blossoms are actually too. Now, not the shapes, but the petals have uh, like a similar texture. All of those plants have flowers with petals that look like cray paper. Now, we always keep a couple of hummingbird feeders up all summer long uh, just for a few of those um, hummingbirds that come around just so that they always have something and kind of encourages more to uh, show up. But of all the hummingbirds, it's the black-chin hummingbirds that are kind of hanging out right now. Um, They're kind of making their way through Central Texas right now. And eventually they'll um, head on out and migrate and spend the winters in Mexico and Central America. And right now that's really all I'm seeing them all over the Turks caps and lots of lots of black chinned hummingbirds. They really love sipping the nectar from the Turks caps and all that action from the visiting um, from visiting the flowers. That's going to help get the flowers pollinated, and then they'll start seed, and then actually a fruiting process. The leaves, flowers, and fruits of Turks Cap are all edible, and I've actually known this for a little while, but I've only ever sampled the fruits, so I decided that I would go outside over to the plants and pick a small leaf And a blossom for me to to do a taste test so that i could give y'all a little review now the blossoms can be collected and dried or they can be eaten fresh they are delicate little petals so they aren't going to last long as fresh so if you're wanting to decorate like a cake with them or put them in a salad, you'll want to harvest and use them in the same day. I was actually expecting the flowers to be tart or a little bit tangy, but they weren't, not at all. They really did not have a discernible flavor. It was weird. So also if you you pull the stamen out um, there's a little drop of nectar at the base that is sweet, but it, it, it just tasted sweet. It wasn't like, oh, this is um, like honeysuckle that has a really distinct flavor. So that was a little disappointing too, because uh, hibiscus tea is kind of tart, and it's quite lemony flavored, and then, of course, these, these blossoms didn't have uh, much flavor at all, but Hibiscus tea is actually made from a different member of the hibiscus family called Roselle, and it's a totally different plant. So if you wanna add some Turks cap flowers to like a salad, just don't expect them to add any flavor. They'll just be a neutral addition. Just appreciate that beautiful red color, and the contrast that it's gonna have with leafy greens. So, you know, maybe you could tell people that you're eating a Christmas salad. I don't know, like Christmas in July salad. That sounds festive. Maybe we should all do that. I don't know. (laughs) Anyway, the leaves are also pretty cool. They are soft and a little bit fuzzy. And I, you know, when I started like going to find which leaf I was going to eat, I could tell by the feel of the larger leaves that they were just going to be too tough to enjoy as a salad green. Because even the younger, small leaf that I had picked was actually too rough. I really was not expecting such a young leaf to be like that because it just felt so soft and velvety, but they don't seem to have a whole lot of moisture content and it didn't have much flavor at all. I mean, maybe like a green flavor, but not not, not like grassy tasting or anything, just, just a green taste. So while I was out looking uh, foraging <laughs> for hibiscus, or for a Turk's cap, Leaves and blossoms. Um, I couldn't find any um, fruits out there. I guess they just they weren't ready, and I wasn't like checking every single one while I was out there. But um, like I mentioned before, I have eaten them, and they're not special either. <laughs> That's probably why you can't find them at the store. So when a Turk's cap is pollinated, it goes into fruit and seed making mode and it puts out these little flattened marble-sized fruits. You know, for some reason, they're also called Mexican apples and I have absolutely no idea. It makes no sense to me, but when they are ripe, they turn um, kind of a nice dark orangey, reddish color, but they don't really have much flavor. They have a similar pithiness like apples, but they aren't juicy at all, and they're just dry and boring. So I'm not going to be going out of my way to eat any more flowers or leaves or the little Mexican apple fruits I think I'm just gonna store that little bit of knowledge away. So in the event that we have some sort of disaster or a summertime apocalypse, um, I'm just gonna save that information and know exactly what I can safely eat while the rest of you guys starve. (laughs) All right, let's do a song and then After that, when we get back, um, I'm gonna talk more about uh, about some other nice plants that you can add to your garden for flowers that will attract hummingbirds, butterflies, and pollinators. Finding plants that attract hummingbirds isn't that hard for us here in Central Texas. Just think about the shapes of their beak long and thin like little syringes. Hummingbirds go for flowers that are trumpet and bell-shaped and they can stick their skinny little beaks in those blossoms and just suck up the nectar. Butterflies also like the trumpety and the bell-shaped blossoms because they can roll out their um, proboscis and sip nectar. The proboscis is a cool tube-like tongue that, uncoils to sip the nectar, and then it coils right back up when they're not feeding. And to me, they kind of roll in and out like those paper party noisemakers, you know what I'm talking about, that you blow into? Anyway, hummingbirds are also really attracted to red, orange, and yellow blossoms, and I read on the Audubon Society's website that hummingbird's eyes have unique retinas that intensify reds and yellows, so that is what they will always go for first they don't see blues nearly as well and they're not drawn to blues or dark purples hummingbirds favorite flowers are those trumpet shapes that are red orange and yellow here in central texas they love all of the red sages red savias Trumpet Vine, Trumpet Creeper, they love Yellow Bells, Esperanza, uh, Lantana, Coral Honeysuckle, Creeping Cypress, Red and Yellow Yuccas, and of course, Turk's Cap. They also do like Texas Purple Sage, which is kind of a light orchid color. Um, I can tell you, we have a purple sage um, that's pretty close to the ter- one of the turk's caps um, beds, and um, the hummingbird feeders are kinda in between the turk's caps and the purple sage. But they will always, you know, they, they do uh, kind of hover around that sage, but as soon as they notice the feeders or the Turk's cap, they zip off to, to go um, eat from them. And I don't know. I guess they're just more picky or, you know, maybe they're more like me. I like lots of choices, too, when it comes to food. Um, anyway, uh, you know, after my little experiment, though, I am not going to eat Turk's cap again. Um, you know, not when, when I can just go inside and, like, have a yogurt or a taco <laughs> Anyway, another hummingbird favorite is flame acanthus. This plant is a, a native Texas shrub that has like these long stems with narrow leaves, and at the tops of the stems, they have lots and lots of dark orange red flowers. The flowers are very kind of similar looking to honeysuckle. They have a, that long trumpet looking flower with long skinny neck, they, but they aren't um, fragrant like honeysuckle. Uh, and also, um, one of its alternative names is Wright's Desert Honeysuckle, but it's completely unrelated to actual honeysuckle. Now, with all that fiery orange at the top, I can totally see why it's called flame acanthus. But hummingbirds just love this plant so much that it's also sometimes called hummingbird bush. Flame acanthus is a host plant to two types of butterflies crimson patch and Texan crescent spot. Both of these butterflies lay eggs on the plant, and the caterpillars will eat the leaves, um, also. Now I've noticed flame acanthus more on the other side of IH 35, where they have a little different soil than we have here in Taylor and our part of Central Texas. West of IH 35, there is more limestone in the soil. And east of 35, we have more, a lot more clay in the soil. And honestly, I think we're luckier on this side of 35 because it's a whole lot less rocky. And even though our heavy clay soil, like our blackland prairie soil, you know, it can be difficult to grow, in, uh, grow things in. It's much, much easier to amend our soil and plants really do tend to like our soil better over here. Now, folks are just now kind of starting to catch on to putting flame acanthus um, in their landscapes. And if you've ever seen it blooming in mass, you'll totally understand why, because it's absolutely stunning. It puts out so many vibrant flowers, and if you're a big plant nerd like me, it will stop you in in your tracks, and you'll be like, oh, what is that plant? And that actually happened to me a couple years ago. Our family was invited to a special demonstration at the Cedar Park Fire Department Training Center. This is where all the local municipal fire departments go for um, a very specific type of training, they have like this multi-story fire simulation building where they set it on fire and the firefighters practice um, putting the fires out. Taylor Fire Department was out there for training and we got to go watch and it was really pretty cool to see all what the firefighters have to do and the conditions that, um, that they're under when they're um, fighting um, big fires like that. But anyway, after the event was over, we walked back to our car, and that's when I noticed these gorgeous red-orange flowers that were planted by the fire department office. Now, I, I don't really have any idea how many plants were over there, but they had to, be, had to be like a good 20 feet of those beautiful little dark orange flowers, and it was absolutely stunning. And I got to say that I have no idea who was in charge of the landscaping at the Cedar Park Fire Training Center, but whoever it was, was just a hilarious genius for planting flame acanthus there. I mean, just pure genius. And now I am totally convinced that all fire stations in Texas should be required to have this plant. You are listening to Plow and Hose on KBSR Black Sparrow Radio. If you are enjoying my show, I hope you'll go over to Blacksparrow and check out the station and learn about all the great shows and music coming out of our little station broadcasting from downtown Taylor, Texas. While you are out on the internet, be sure to stop by the Plow and Hose Facebook page and like and share it with your gardening friends or head over to wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to The Plow and Hose Show. If you like the flexibility of being able to play, pause, rewind my show whenever you want, please download some episodes and go on and leave a review. It's super quick, you just click on the stars, you type up a sentence or two about what you like about the show, and submit it, super easy. And this is gonna help others find the show, and downloading the episodes Provides me with some show statistics. If you live in the Taylor area, go check out the Taylor, Texas Backyard Gardeners Facebook group. This is a nice group just made up of local folks and neighbors, all who love plants and gardening if you're interested in growing things in central texas it's a nice place to meet folks and find out what's going on in their backyards i am just always amazed by the wonderful gardens and the creative solutions that people come up with it really is a diverse group and we have everyone from beginners to certified master gardeners and it's such a joy for me anyway to see their pictures and just interact with other local plant people i want to tell you i did something fun and different for me this past week i was a guest on another program on kbsr black sparrow radio this show is called drinking texas chip and mike the the main host um We were at a KBSR meeting, and they asked me if I ever wanted to be on their show and just kind of hang out a bit and talk about gardening and nature while doing a taste test of some whiskey. So I was like, well, okay, sure, let's do that. I'm always down for talking about plants, so... We did um, a taste test of two kinds of botanically infused whiskeys. One was a honeysuckle infusion, and the other one was infused with mint. I'm pretty sure it was spearmint, but anyway. Uh, Natalie Metcalf, who is a local musician, she was also there too. And we had a super great time talking about... Gardening in Central Texas, while sipping on these really interesting botanically infused whiskeys. So, if you are interested in <laughs> hearing that show, be sure to check out "Drinking Texas" with Mike and Chip on Sunday, July eighteenth at seven PM. And then again, if you miss that, you can catch it Monday at 7 a.m. on the 19th um you got to be an early bird for that one but you know maybe if you catch it on your uh, way to work you could um hear our little discussion anyway i really wasn't sure what to expect but we had so much fun we laughed so much so maybe tune in and give drinking texas a try All right, let's get back on track and talking about some other awesome butterfly and pollinator plants. I gotta say, Lantana has to be one of the best butterfly nectar plants because it's pretty no fail. Not only is it really pretty and it feeds butterflies it grows really, really well for us here in Central Texas. And it's no wonder because it just grows so well and it's become a really popular landscaping plant. It really loves to grow here. And, it, and we're so lucky because it comes in a bunch of different colors and actually two growing habits. Now, all of the various varieties of lantana are exceptionally heat and drought tolerant, and they really can tolerate poor soil conditions. Most plants will benefit, of course, from consistent watering and well-draining soil, plus mulch and compost, of course. Lantana leaves are poisonous to most animals, so the herbivores like rabbits and goats anything that eats uh, sheep, anything that eats primarily um, or exclusively plant material, they tend to leave them alone and they won't eat them. Birds, on the other hand, love, love, love to gobble up those lantana berries. And of course, they end up pooping out the seeds um, and distributing lantana all over the place. But just keep in mind, just because the birds can eat them doesn't mean that people should eat them. So don't do that. Don't give yourself a stomach ache. And always teach kids not to pick and eat plants without asking first. Lantana makes great nectar plants for all kinds of butterflies and moths. And of course, they also attract hummingbirds. Lantana is a really important nectar source during migration time through Texas. I don't know if you knew this or not, but Central Texas is situated right in the middle of a major migratory corridor. Several species that overwinter in Mexico, like monarch butterflies and black-chinned hummingbirds, they all pass through our area in what is referred to the Texas corridor. And this corridor basically follows the entire length of Interstate 35. And these little creatures travel up and down I-35 from Minnesota to the Rio Grande Valley. And then they head on into Mexico. And so Texas is like a big migration funnel so it's really important um, for us to grow a variety of nectar plants for all these creatures that are passing through so add some nectar plants like flamacanthus and lantana Generally speaking, pollinators prefer the native variety over the improved variety of a plant. Improved varieties are those plants that have been intentionally cultivated for a specific reason, usually for their flower color or fruit production. Um, native varieties are true to their wild form. It takes a long time for species to adapt. so they tend to gravitate to the natives. If you're really wanting to attract pollinators, then go for the native lantana over the cultivated variety. The butterflies and the bees are gonna be much more interested in the nectar from the native lantana, for example. But you know, there's absolutely nothing wrong with having both varieties in your garden. Native lantana sometimes grows kind of scraggly and it really only comes in orange. So find a place in your garden for it. You can always get an improved variety just for you to enjoy. So go ahead, get both. Some for the butterflies, some for you. Some cultivated lantana varieties are trailing plants and they stay low growing. They don't get very tall other types grow upright and they can be quite bushy and depending on the kind that you have and if they are happy and healthy you know those native lantana they can get up to like six feet tall and spread six feet wide so if you're going to have those and you think they're going to do well in your yard make sure you give them a lot of space lantana cultivars come in all colors except for blue They are red, orange, yellow, pink, purple, and white. And they have these little tiny, they're they're trumpet-shaped also, Um, they have these little tiny flowers that form clusters that make the flowers appear uh, larger than they are because they're grouped together. Lantanas can be a single solid color, or they could be multicolored and I am really partial to the really bright multicolored ones. The multicolored ones are really beautiful and the flower clusters like radiate from the center and they are like light in the center and then they gradually get darker like a beautiful ombre. The leaves on lantanas are rough and sandpapery, and if you brush up on them, you'll notice that they have an awful odor. They're really kind of stinky. Some people say that they smell like cat pee. I think they have more of like a petroleum odor to them, like motor oil or maybe gasoline, but mixed with rancid citrus. It's kind of gross. It's not not pleasant. Lantanas are easy plants, and they absolutely love our soil and climate here in Central Texas, but they are a little prone to a couple of issues, including powdery mildew and sooty mold. Powdery mildew usually isn't a problem unless your lantanas really don't get enough light, I've really seen more sooty mold issues um, on lantanas. Both powdery mildew and sooty mold are fungal diseases, and both can make your plants weak and cause the leaves to drop off. They also make your plants look gray. Sooty mold, um, it also develops black spots um, and It kind of looks like smoke damage. Sooty mold grows as a result of insect secretions on plants called honeydew. If you have an issue with aphids or scale or other sucking insects, you might have issues with honeydew sucking bugs like aphids. They use their mouth parts to suck the juices from plants. And since they eat a lot, guess what? They poop a lot. Plant juices are really high in sugars, and it's way more than these insects can handle. They can't process it all. So what they don't use, they excrete out, and that sweet, sticky substance is called honeydew. So... Basically, honeydew is bug poop. Well, I guess it's bug pee, I guess. Bug pee. That makes a little more sense. Sticky, sweet bug pee. Gross. The honeydew itself isn't harmful to plants or people, but it can attract other insects like ants. And it serves as nutrient for black sooty mold and it's gross and it's ugly to look at and plants look terrible and too much black sooty mold will weaken the plant so to get rid of sooty mold you need to get rid of the honeydew and the insects that secrete it and it really depends on how much of it that you have and how much effort that you want to put into getting rid of it if you catch it early, right when you notice the aphids, you can easily spray them with insecticidal soap to kill the bugs. If you have some sooty mold on a few leaves, you can spritz it with insecticidal soap and then rub, uh, rub the leaves to remove the honeydew and the mold. Or you could just snip off the diseased leaves If you have a bigger problem with city mold, you might want to just cut your plant back and let it regrow. But I wanna recommend that you wait until it starts to cool off before drastically cutting back um, any plant. It's just a little too hot and you you want your plants to have a opportunity to recover. So maybe just wait until um, the fall Insecticidal soap, if you've never made it, it's super easy, and it's really cheap to make. Just fill a spray bottle with water and add a little bit of liquid soap and a drop or two of vegetable oil. You're going to shake it all up and then spray your plants and make sure that you spray the soft-bodied critters like aphids and mites. It works because the oil helps the soapy water stick on their bodies and then that soap, it dries them out and then they die. Since black city mold is a two-part problem, it's part fungus and part insect issue, you could use neem oil in place of the vegetable oil in your homemade insecticidal soap. Neem oil is a great multi-purpose product It's appropriate for organic gardening, and it's great as a fungicide and insecticide. If you missed the June 20th show, go download episode 24 of the Plow and Hose podcast. I have a lot more information about neem oil and also dealing with summer insects. I just got a feeling that I think it's finally going to start acting like our usual hot and sunny Central Texas summer, so be sure to keep your garden well watered, keep those weeds under control, just pull them out as you see them, because here in a couple of weeks, we're going to be able to plant another round of our summer veggies, like, Corn and beans cucumber squash and we're also able to safely transplant peppers tomatoes and eggplant okay my friends that's all i have for um for today thanks again for joining me here in my backyard i hope everyone has a wonderful week